Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Um, this program goes all over the nation, Canada, uh, Sirius XM radio, like 47 local radio stations. We're so appreciative of you being willing to listen. Um, you know, you can go to the website, the BibleCrossfire.com website. And listen to old programs. Any program I've done, I've been on SiriusXM since 2015. You can go there to ask me a question via email. Or you to sign up for a, a, a correspondence course done over the computer, over the internet. Where you can just study the Bible and fill out questions at your own pace. You can request a one-on-one phone Bible study with me there. Be glad to study with you for about an hour, free of charge, when it's convenient for you. You can go to BibleCrossFire.com and request that. Um, We were talking, or want to talk about, this idea that we find consistently in the Bible that God tests people to see if they will obey him. Sometimes God tests people to see if they will obey his law. For example, Exodus 16.4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. That's from the New King James Version. See, raining manna down from heaven, He was part of what he told them to do was to test them, to see if they'll walk in his law or not. Now, at that time, many passed the test by doing exactly what God said, verses 17 through 18 of Exodus 16. But some failed by ignoring his directions, verse 20. Perhaps as a listener or me also, I've got to preach to myself here, God's testing us. He gives us instructions in the New Testament law. He's not going to rain down manna from heaven and see how we gather it. That was just for that particular situation, but he gives us plenty of instructions in the law of Christ, the New Testament law, and he's, in effect, testing us. He's testing us to see if we'll obey him. God said something similar to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8.2. Let me read that. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. God tested them to see if they would keep his commandments. God tests us today to see if we will keep his New Testament commandments. And and evidently, this was not an unusual occurrence, God testing the Israelites, people in the Old Testament. Let me read some more passages from the Old Testament to show you this. Exodus 15, 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. There he proved them. He tested them. He was seeing if they would submit to what he told them. How about Exodus 20, verse 20? And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you. And that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. He is going to prove us. Now, what's the difference between temptation and testing? God tests people. 
Well, what does that mean? He gives them a test to see if they will obey him. And the test is to try to get them to succeed. That It says that you sin not. The devil tempts us, meaning he gives us a test, we might say, but he's testing us, tempting us to try to get us to sin, to try to get us to fail. That's the difference. In both cases, you might say it's a test. With God, it's a test to try to get us to succeed that we sin not, as Exodus 20, 20 says. With the devil, he's tempting us, which means he's testing us to try to get us to fail, to get us to sin. God's never going to try to get us to sin. He wants us never to sin. How about Deuteronomy 8, verse 16? Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at the latter end. You see? To prove them. Deuteronomy 13, verse 3. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you. The newer translations will say test you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to prove you, to test you. Judges 2.22, that through them I may prove Israel or test Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Judges 3.1, now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, to test Israel. Judges 3, 4, and they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses to test Israel. God does the same thing for us today. He gives us instructions through the law of Christ, the New Testament, to prove us, to test us, to see if we will obey him. Psalm 17, verse 3, Thou hast proved my heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. God proves our heart. He tests us to see if we will obey him. Plenty of verses in the Old Testament teach that. Now, a very famous passage in the Old Testament, Genesis 22. You may remember in regard to God asking Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a burnt sacrifice. Genesis 22 says from the New King James Version, God tested Abraham. God was testing Abraham to see if he really feared, loved God more than anything else. Do you ever think God may be testing you when he asks you through his word, the scriptures, to obey him in any particular matter? God may be testing you. You better pass the test. You better do what the scriptures say. When God asked the Israelites in Joshua 6, 2 through 5, to walk around the city 13 times in seven days before God would knock down the walls of Jericho, wasn't that in effect a test to see if they would obey him? Because couldn't couldn't God have knocked down those walls without their walking? He could have knocked down the walls without them walking. But why did he say then, I want you to walk 13 times in seven days before I knock the walls down? He's testing them. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. You got a Bible question or comment, give us a call. The lines are wide open. When God asked Naaman through Elisha in 2 Kings 5, 9 through 14, to dip in the Jordan River seven times to be cleansed of his leprosy, don't you think it might have been a test? Because couldn't God have cleansed Naaman without the dipping? 
Sure he could. He could have cleansed God without the dipping. Then if that's true, why did he ask Naaman to dip seven times in the Jordan River? Wasn't he trying to get Naaman to prove that he would submit to God's will? He's testing Naaman. How about Numbers 21, 4 through 9? Isn't that the same? God told the Israelites there to look at a bronze serpent on a pole. And if they did, he would heal them of their snake bites. Is there anything about looking at a statue of a snake that normally cures snake bites? Of course not. Do you reckon God placed this stipulation upon the Israelites' healing to test if they would obey him? Certainly. He could have healed them without them looking at that bronze serpent on a pole. But he had them look on that bronze serpent to test them, to see, to let them prove that they would submit to God's will. And if they proved they would, he would heal them of the snake bite. Another good example. Why did Jesus ask the blind man in John chapter 9, verse 7, go wash in the pool of Siloam? Why? Couldn't Jesus have healed him, healed him immediately just with the snap of his finger? I think by now we should see God's consistent pattern. God conditions his blessings upon our faith acting, thereby us proving our allegiance to him, our submission to him, our obedience to him. He could give us any blessing he wanted to with, as I said, with a snap of his fingers. He didn't have to ask us to do anything, but he does. He asks us to meet a condition to receive the blessing, to prove us, to test us. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. Might water baptism be the same way? God could have justified people by sinners, by faith only, as many preachers teach. But he's, instead, he says in James 2.24, our justification is not by faith only. As a matter of fact, Every passage that tells us the purpose of water baptism teaches it is necessary to salvation. Let me repeat that. There are a lot of passages about salvation in the Bible, about faith, about repentance. And there's actually a lot of passages about baptism. And not all of those passages tell us the purpose about baptism. But every single passage in the Bible that tells us the purpose of water baptism tells us that the purpose is salvation, that you have to be baptized to be saved. Every single one that tells us the purpose of water baptism tells us that you got to be baptized to be saved. Let's look at some examples. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So a lot of preachers will say, all you got to do is believe to be saved. But Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now that's pretty clear. They say that most of the Bible is written on a sixth grade level. I think this verse is on a third grade level. I, I, I think any third grader could read that verse and understand what it was saying, that you have to do both believe, believe and be baptized to be saved, that it takes both. How about what Jesus said in John 3, 5, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Obviously, you got to be born of water and the spirit to be saved. What does that mean to be born of water? Well, water baptism is the only thing in the scriptures that involves water and is of spiritual significance. If you really read the first half of Romans 6, you'll see that you're born again when you're baptized in water. That's when you make the commitment to change your life, and that's when you start start walking in newness of life. 
Romans 6, 3 through 4. That's when the new birth happens, when a person believes, repents, and is baptized in water. Except a man be born of water to the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then Acts 2, 38. By the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. In Acts 2, 38, Peter told believers, a lot of people will say, well, they're already saved. They're already believers. Peter told believers, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, so they were, their sins weren't already forgiven just because they believed. They believe, and Peter told them they had to repent and be baptized to get the remission of sins. So when a person's baptized, he gets the forgiveness of all the sins he's ever committed. What a great blessing. But guess what? Just getting baptized all by itself is not good enough. It says, repent and be baptized. Repent means you're cha- you commit to changing your life in regard to sin. In the terminology of Romans 6, you decide or commit to quit serving sin and start serving righteousness or start serving Christ. Then you get baptized. Then all your sins are forgiven at the baptism. And then God expects you to follow through on that commitment to change your life in regard to sin. It's not just be baptized for a believer. It's repent and be baptized. And when you do that, you get your sins forgiven. You got to be baptized to be saved, according to that verse. And then in Acts 22, 16, you'll remember we had Saul of Tarsus, very zealous, strict Jew, so zealous that he was persecuting Christians, even killing some of them. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. You can read about that in Acts 9, 22, and 26. Jesus appeared to Paul. Paul believed in Jesus. He says, what do you have me to do? And Jesus said, go into the city. to be told you what to do. In the meantime, Jesus sends Ananias to Paul, and he tells him in Acts 22, 16, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. A lot of people will teach, well, he was saved from his sins when he believed on the road to Damascus. Well, then, if that's true, why was he told three days later to do something to get his sins washed away? He's told to be baptized. The blood of Christ washes away our sins, and Acts 22, 16 teaches us that the blood of Christ washes away our sins, not when we believe, but when we're baptized. Ray from California, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, I'll just, uh, in regards to, I mean, it goes hand in hand with the uh, water baptism, but communion as well. I noticed, I mean, uh, with, with the church I'm with, you know, one thing that I didn't know that I, I from what I understand from the Bible, because, you know, I do everything from what the Bible says, Old Testament, New Testament, but it talks about washing the feet. A lot of churches don't practice that and you know for communion and that's what it calls in the bible a lot of people have their own uh perception of what the word i don't have the exact scripture on me i'm driving but i, I just heard that just want to throw that in there at you um what's your take on that so in first timothy 5 verse 10 talking about a widow it's talking about a widow being taken into the number being supported benevolently it says, well reported of for good works. If she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. If you read 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, there's only two elements, eating the bread and drinking the fruit of the vine. The washing of feet is not a ceremony like the Lord's Supper to be observed along with the Lord's Supper in the church service. The washing of feet is something practical, Ray, if you read all the information about the washing of feet in the Bible, it's something that they did when, in John 13, when the feet were dirty. The feet are dirty because they're walking 
down these trails with sandals on. They get to a house. They wash their feet. And we ought to be willing to wash people's feet or do other things like that in service to others. But it's not a religious ceremony to be done in a church service, Ray. And the Bible teaches yeah. you something you do because their feet need washing, which would be at home, for example. If somebody walked to the church building in sandals, maybe you could wash their feet in the foyer before they went in. But that's not going to happen that often. It's a, it's an, it's an item of practical service, real service, just like taking care of the sick. It's not a ceremony to be done like the Lord's Supper. We don't eat the Lord's Supper in order to satisfy hunger. It's a ceremony to remember the body and blood of Christ. Follow up, Ray? Understood. Thank you. I'm going to read that up. I just got the, I wrote it down real quick. The verse. Hey, maybe I appreciate I'll that. try to call you. I'll try to call you after the program. Yeah, and maybe okay. we can talk about it further. Maybe have a study on, on feet washing or whatever we want to talk about, okay? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your call. Thanks for your call, Ray. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So we were talking about verses that teach us that you have to be baptized in water to be saved. And we were in the context of, we looked at all these Old Testament passages that says that God asked the Israelites to do things to test them. He could have blessed them without them doing anything. But he always asked them to do something before they got the blessing in order to test them to see if they would obey him. And I suspect water baptism is the same way. He could save us by faith only. He could save us even without having faith if he wanted to. But he asked us to believe, John 3.16, to repent, Acts 3.19, and to be baptized, Acts 2.38. To prove, so that we can prove that we're willing to submit to his will. And then and only then do we get our sins washed away by the blood of Christ. Acts 22, 16. Saul was told, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Our sins are not washed away when we believe. Our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ when we're baptized. God is proving us to see if we will obey him. It, the blessings he gives, salvation, he gives it to us conditionally. And how about Galatians 3, 26 and 27? It says, for you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. No doubt, according to this passage, we become a child of God by faith. But verse 27 begins this, with this little word for, F-O-R, which means to introduce the reason. In other words, the reason you're a child of God by faith is because you've been baptized into Christ. The way you became a child of God by faith is by being baptized into Christ. Notice that you're baptized into Christ. That means you're not in Christ if you haven't been baptized. You see that? You're baptized into Christ, meaning you have to get baptized to be in Christ. Roy from Oklahoma, go with your Bible question or comment, please. <laughs> hey, Pat. I don't disagree with being baptized uh, to be saved, uh, but I do think that the, the passage in John chapter 3 is not talking about water baptism specifically. Um, okay. The reason I say, the reason, yeah, go ahead. Oh, the reason I say that is because Jesus is talking about unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he, Nicodemus asks, "How can you get back into the womb?" So John, so Jesus is saying, "Well, just like you're born of water, you must be born of the Spirit." And then he goes, "That which is born of flesh," referring back to the water, uh, the nor normal birth, if you will is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So I think that that particular verse would probably not be used in context with water baptism, but I agree with the other verses. Yeah, you think it's talking about the physical birth there, like like a, water, a woman's water break, right? 
other side of it, yes. Well, let me ask you what you think about Romans 6. You're familiar with Romans 6, 3, and 4. It says, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That tells me, Roy, that we start our walk in newness of life, which is the exact same terminology as, as the new birth, that we start that new life, that new birth, that new person when we're baptized in water. Do you see why I think that Romans, that John 3 might be talking about water baptism? Well, I, I can see that. I just, I just don't think that's water baptism in that particular instant is all I'm saying. But I agree with Romans and what you're saying there. But I, I, I think when he goes on then and talks about the serpent being lifted up, and so he's telling Nicodemus just the way their sin was held before them on that pole, your sin's going to be before you on the cross, and, and, uh, and I'm dying for your sin in that regard. So, but, but I, I do, love that analogy in John three fourteen and 15 that you're talking about. Reggie from Maryland. Yes. Go ahead with your Bible yes. question or comment, please. Um, I just wanted to know what your comment, your response was on as far as being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I know in Acts, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, folks spoke in tongues. That's one of, that is one of the signs. Uh, what's your comment on that? What's your response? Let me say two things here. In Acts 2.38... I don't know if we read all of that. Peter told these believers, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And here's the part I might not have read before. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Right. So when right. we're baptized, we get the Holy Ghost. But as far as the evidence of it, speaking in tongues, I believe, Reggie, that has ceased. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, prophecy shall fail, tongues shall cease when that which is perfect is coming. I believe contextually the perfect is the completed New Testament canon. So when that New Testament canon was completed, all 27 books revealed, all written down and put into one place, you don't need a prophet to tell you he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved anymore because you read it right out of the Bible. So I believe the prophecy in the tongues ceased at that time based upon 1 Corinthians 13. Do you not agree with that, Reggie? Um... I'm not, no, I don't know. I mean, I Reggie, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to call you after the program because i got to go off the air in just a minute or two. I'm going to call okay. you, try to get your email address, and I want to send you an article I wrote on that and see what you think, see if I can prove it to you, and then maybe you can respond back and say, here, Pat, here's where you're missing it. Okay, Reggie? All right. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for your call, Reggie. We got about one or two more minutes. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 1 Peter 3.21, I'll just read part of it due to lack of time. It says, baptism doth also now save us. Now, I don't think God would say baptism saves us if we didn't have to be baptized to be saved. So we just looked at five or six or seven passages, all of which prove that you got to be baptized to be saved. Why? God could save us without baptism. Why does he ask us to be baptized, to be saved? Well, is it possible that he's proving us or testing us, asking us to prove that we're willing to submit to his will? That's what we see consistently going on in the Old Testament. When God was going to give a blessing to the Israelites, he would ask them to do something in order to receive the blessing. God asked us to be baptized in order to receive the blessing of salvation. 
he's in effect testing us. He's proving us. We're proving to God by submitting to baptism that we're willing to submit to his will. Now, it appears to me that many are failing this last test. They reason that believing Jesus can save us is good enough. They teach that we don't really have to actually follow through and walk in his law to be saved. That, well, if you just believe that God can do it, that's good enough. You'll be saved. No, God's testing us. You have to walk in his law to be saved. You have to be baptized to be saved. Now, last question. What happens if we fail God's test of us? The test that he gives us. What happens if we fail? Matthew 26, 46, 25, 46 says, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. That's if we fail the test, but the righteous unto life eternal. That's if we pass God's test. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, give me a call or text me on my cell number, 256-682-9753.